one Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a longtime methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. What's up, everybody? This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I am your host, Sean Dustin. This is your first time listening. Welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. It's good to have you with us. Doing something a little bit different today. Uh, I had a request from my guest uh, to read this intro or prelude uh, to the episode. Uh, And I was like, all right, well, why not? I'll do that. I can, I can oblige your request. Uh, you're a great guest, so sure, why not? And let's see if I get banned from YouTube for it. <laughs> not that I really care about that YouTube channel anyways. I'm buried in the algorithm, so it's not like I get a whole lot of views over there. So uh, if you are uh, listening to this on the podcast platforms, do me a favor. Go ahead and subscribe. That that will help me to become more visible on the podcast platforms and the new and noteworthy and in any of the other places that, you know, it helps boost you up to make you more visible. Uh, My guest today is Francis Richard Connolly. He is the director and producer of a documentary called... From JFK to 9-11, Everything's a Rich Man's Trick. And you can find the direct links to those to that in the show notes or the description, depending on you know, what you're watching on or, or listening to this on. It's a great documentary. It's about three and a half hours long. It's a commitment, but when you start watching it and you see the connections that are being made throughout and, and mind you, this, this documentary has been banned everywhere. Uh, so when they start banning things, you know, that the truth is, is out there and it's, you know, you're touching on something that they don't want the public to see. So the link that I have in there is still available right now, but it could disappear at any point. So if that happens and if you do try to watch this, you know, if you're watching, you know, down down the line and the link doesn't work anymore, do me a favor and email me at nowhere to go but up now at gmail.com and I will try to make sure that you uh, I get a link that does work so you can view this because I think this is <laughs> this should be required viewing for every human. Uh, so anyways, that's only my personal opinion. So I'm going to go ahead and start this, uh, little prelude here. This interview was filmed several weeks before the mainstream media released the story about the breakaway European football super league. 
We were led to believe that this proposal had caused consternation throughout the entire football world, and every football pundit currently working for BBC or Sky News was dragged in front of the cameras to condemn it out of hand the moment the full details were known. Francis Richard Connolly, on the other hand, was equally dismissive, saying that this was quite obviously just another fake news story which the corrupt mainstream media was inflating out of all proportion, just as they did with the fake news about Oprah Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey and Meghan Markle. It was claimed... Hold on a second. It was claimed at first that both Chelsea and Manchester City, who have both reached the semifinals of the European Championship Cup, could be ejected from the competition and even banned from playing in it for decades to come. This is a classic example of the establishment trying to control its citizens through fear, because they know that there is nothing English football fans fear more than seeing the team they support being thrown out of the most prestigious competition in world football when they are only 180 minutes away from winning it. It was at this moment that Mr. Connolly predicted in emails to the managers of several Premier League clubs that nothing of the sort would ever happen, and that the story would be allowed to just fizzle out and not harm any team in any way for the rest of this season. Within just 24 hours, Mr. Connolly was proven correct. It first of all transpired that even such supremely well-respected figures as Jurgen Klopp, the manager of Liverpool, and Pep Guardiola, manager of Man City, had not even been told about this proposed break away by the owners of their respective clubs. Now, does that make any sense? That a club should be about to embark on the biggest sea change in their history, and yet they don't bother to consult with their manager about it beforehand. Hmm. Makes me suspect. Give me a break. In the last few days, Klopp and Guardiola and all of the other top managers of the most prestigious league in the world have been made to look like fools as they have faced the TV cameras like schoolboys and shook their heads saying, honestly, the club didn't tell me a thing about this. It has all been just another classic example of mainstream media creating fake news in a desperate attempt to shift the focus off Prince Andrew and the pedophile scandal, which simply refuses to die down as the trial of Ghislaine Maxwell comes ever closer. So Mr. Connolly would like to ask all of those who are awake and follow his work a little favor. Could you please write a quick message to the British football pundits Rio Ferdinand, Jamie Carragher, Roy Keane, Gary Lineker, Alan Shearer, and most especially Gary Neville, who has been the most vocal, and tell them to stop being so bloody thick. For the whole of this season, they have been willing to parrot another entirely fake story that black players in England are being racially abused on social media, in spite of the fact that no one ever seems to be charged after being traced by the police through their Facebook account. 
How likely does that sound? So please try to explain to these simple ex-footballers that the ESL is just another fake news story the MI5 propaganda machine has invented to try and take everyone's mind off the Queen's favorite son, Prince Andrew. These men simply do not understand that they are being used as pawns in a much bigger political game. And until the day that such men as these crawl out of their mainstream media bubble and learn what reality is, Prince Andrew and his pedophile friends will continue to operate the VIP child sex abuse network which abuses and murders thousands of children every year and which was finally exposed with the demise of jeffrey epstein there is one other thing just in case a sydney-based australian should read these words please go point piper oh please go to point piper and tell scott farquhar and mike cannon brooks that francis richard Connolly has been trying to contact them and the establishment are preventing it so this was just a favor to my guest uh to add that to the beginning of this episode uh i'm not i, I i'm aware of some of this stuff here but i was not aware of any of the stuff going on about the super league um stuff like that so um there you go francis i hope you uh enjoyed my narration of that and uh yeah let's get to the show you'd better tell me though about, <laughs> about this colorful background well what about your, your own uh, background then just just briefly i mean if you want to tell me if it's okay yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. Um, so basically what I did, uh, I grew up in an abusive home. Uh, my parents divorced when I was younger. Uh, they used me to get back at each other. And so I was like this pawn in a, in a, in a wicked game of, uh, chess. And, you know, that just made me angry, you know, and I carried okay. that anger through, I'm you know, throughout my whole I life. I grew up in a living home. Yeah, it's just well. I mean, you know, it is what it is. Um, it's uh, I came out on the other side of it, and so uh, you know, now I'm trying to do do good things with it. But I ended up going to uh, struggled with addiction from the time I was about 16 to an addiction to methamphetamine uh, to the time I was 16 till I was 32 uh, in my early 30s when I got out of. Uh, well, actually, it wasn't even till when I got out of prison. When I got out of prison. Um, like I said, 18 years of that plus, uh, you know, I went to prison, went to about 18 different institutions, uh, between drug, drug rehabs, uh, juvenile halls, boys ranches, uh, therapeutic communities, um, all of these things within that time frame. And, uh, you were locked up for 18 years. Well, no, I mean, just all the institutions, I've been to 18 different places sporadically spread out throughout that period. Like, I would do time, I'd get out, I would go and I'd do good and then I'd fall down again and I'd end up in more trouble and it just progressively got worse and worse and worse. And in 2006, I got out uh, and I, I got out of prison, I went back to my mom's and then I wasn't done. I learned how to do credit card fraud and all these other things that you have to tell. Like I'm an intelligent guy. I was just using it in the wrong way. I'm a leader, but I was leading people to do bad things for me. Right. And so like I was like a, a ringleader, I guess you would say. And so once I got out, I started, uh, you know, I, I 
had two violations, went to another uh, rehab. And in 2010, something just clicked. Um, I was I got into my union before I got in, in trouble, right? So I got in my union around 2007. I managed to not blow that. And I went back to it once I decided I wanted to turn my life around. And then I started rising up through the ranks of that, being a uh, you know sergeant at arms. Then I was the uh, on the executive board. I was a trustee. I ran for a business agent position, and you know all of these things were just you know helping me to realize that oh well you have to um, you know m- you have to make goals and achieve goals in order to get build your own self-esteem right and you have to do it in the right direction versus the way that i was doing it because i couldn't be proud of any of that my parents couldn't be proud of me yeah i'm i'm basically was selling drugs and running a business and doing all that other stuff but i was doing it on the wrong side which didn't like i was running in place and wasting a bunch of energy that wasn't taking me anywhere except the wrong direction does that make sense Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just, yeah, it's, it's a hell of a, <laughs> there's so much more. Stuff. Yeah. There's so much more involved in that, you know, from the fact that all my dad's side of the family were law enforcement. Uh, they're all cops. And oh, so, <laughs> you know, so I mean, just, a, a, yeah, just a classic there. example of rebellion. Right. And, and, and all of that. And so what ended up happening is um, I got off the meth in 2010, but then I ended up in a seven-year opiate addiction uh, with, with pain pills. And two years or about six months before I started this podcast, um, I decided that I'm going to stop doing that because I can't. How am I going to talk about being transparent and authentic when I'm still getting these pills and I'm selling them to people and taking them and just still not being a good person? Right. All, yeah. I, I did all of this work to try and, 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 you know, go on the right path. But I still got my hands a little bit in the in, in the cookie jar. Right. And so. I had to quit doing all of that. I had to stop doing the uh, pills. I used uh, edible marijuana to uh, kick me off the withdrawal symptoms um, because I wasn't going to go to I'm, I'm go to rehab. I've already been to three of them. What are they going to tell me that I don't already know, right? Yeah. And so I just did it on my own. And I used the podcast as my reason. And I wanted to tell my story and I wanted to tell stories of other people that have been through things like me and how they got through it. And within all of that, it just sort of took on a life of its own. Like I started getting involved in alternative media. I I already didn't believe a lot of the shit that they were saying anyways. Right. You know, when you were in that world, you already like we're divergence. Right. You know, that 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 you ever seen that movie Divergent? No. So basically, we're the outliers, the ones that the that that aren't susceptible to the the mainstream uh, the mainstream magic, I guess you would say. Right. And so we all we knew something like I knew shit just didn't make sense. Uh, when I went to prison, I was in with a gentleman who you may know who he is, um, uh, Fritz Springmeier. No, not heard that name. No, he wrote the book Bloodlines of the Illuminati. Oh, I have heard of that. 
Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I've read so much, obviously, but uh, I've heard of the book. I haven't, I haven't read the book. No. Yeah, so I was locked up with him, and I would walk the track with him uh, at nighttime. And I'm just this dumb kid, right? I, I don't know anything, and you know, I, well, I think I'm a dumb kid, and I didn't really know any of the stuff that he was talking about. And then he's just started like opening my mind to you know uh, the Watchtower Society, religion, and where all that started, and how that whole thing came about, and how it's the same. It's not. There's nothing different. It, they had all started in the same place. They just used it to divide people and to keep people in control. And it just it planted that seed, right? Of oh. Yeah. There's something else going on here. All right. But I forgot about it once I got out, right? And then it wasn't until I watched uh uh well, it wasn't until I watched uh 911 uh what it was no no uh, it was called uh what was the 911 well, loose Yeah, loose, loose change. change. And I didn't know that that was Jason Bermans that did that movie, right? And I started following Ricky and and watching him, I got him on my show and he was like the first person that I'd actually reached out that I was a fan of that said yes to be on the podcast. And then that just kind of opened the doors to all these other people and, you know, you watching your movie and just kind of down that rabbit hole of like, Oh, okay. There's something more here. There's, you know, why are we being lied to? Why is our, our school systems being dumbed down? And like when you telescope out, and you look at it because most people don't do that. They don't. They don't look above it and go, "Okay, my friend." That is the big problem: is that most people can't do what you did. Then is that they can't take themselves out of their own situation. You know, they, they see everything through their own little world. And if something that you know, a man like me, or you know, with loose change, if it doesn't actually impact on their world. It, it, then they don't get it. You know what I mean? It's, like you say, it, it's a it's a skill actually that very few people have. I'll be very interested though with your this you know colourful background that you've had to see how it affects your uh, <laughs> both both what kind of questions you're going to ask me uh, and how they're asked. I'll, I'll be most because if there's one thing about people who've been you know in, in trouble or. Um, you know, anybody who's been uh, to jail or been a thief or, you know, anything like that, I find that they have a a much better nose than anyone for bullshit. Well, yeah, I was a manipulator. I was a master yeah. manipulator. Yeah, I learned, I learned how to, yeah. yeah, I learned how to do that yeah. throughout my so whole no, thing. No, go ahead, then. I mean, you know, I'm... I'm, I'm Looking forward to this one because uh, I don't think I've been. Uh, have I been interviewed by someone who's been in prison? No, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. So go ahead. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> ask me what you want to ask me. See what. Right. <clears throat> so let's let's. Normally, I, I, I started off by, but it doesn't matter. We're, we're, this is a little bit different. Um, just a little backstory for the for the people that are going to be listening to this or watching this. Um, this is Francis Richard Connolly. Uh, he's the right or the the director and writer of a uh, documentary called "From JFK to 9/11: Everything's a Rich Man's Trick," or is it just "Everything's a Rich Man's Trick" and people added that other stuff to it? 
I know the, the full title is JFK to 9-11, Everything is a Rich Man's Trick. Yeah, that's that's the full title, Matt, yeah. Okay, so yeah, I watched this documentary, and for those of you that follow me, you know that I like to amplify the signal of people that call out corruption. Uh, whether it's in the, the judicial system, whether it's, you know, in uh, whatever we're doing, I like to be that signal. And yes, it may affect my ratings. It may affect me in how I get buried in, in, in shadow band and all that other stuff. But I think it's really important uh, for people to understand what's really going on or at least have an idea. Uh, you don't have to believe in it, but once you start like I did, you, you, you telescope out and you look and then all of the coincidences and all the things that kind of line up to, to, I don't know, man, like it's, it's like, it's a trick, right? It's the, it's the, the inversion of our reality where what you think you see is really the backside. What you think you see, isn't what you see. The way it is, is the backside of it. And, you know, they have us convinced that things are one way, but it's really a, a completely different, the opposite way. So, like, what's up is down. What's down is up. What's right's left. And by the time we actually get around to figuring it out, the game has changed. They switch it up on you. So you never really know what's happening or where you are. That's my take on it. And so... I, I just I watched this movie and I was like, holy smokes, like you just condensed a hundred years in three and a half hours and made it hell of understandable. Thank you. And I was just like, I was amazed by this. And I was like, holy, yeah. s I was like, I mean, I've been telling everybody about it. And like, how long ago did you did you do this? Because I know it's not new. Well, actually, uh, it's a good thing you brought that up, um, Sean, because um, when you, you asked me on your show, um, as I usually do, um, I look at all of the various pirate copies. Um, it, it may be useful, if you haven't already told your viewers, that uh, to say once again that this is a film that, you know, my film was banned by Donald Trump and by the Queen. Um, about a, uh, about nine months after it, it was first uh, put online, and there there are myths growing up about it now. Uh, I mean, the, uh, there was a public comment on one of the uh, the pirate copies that said uh, it, it. This goes back all the way to 2012, doesn't it? Now I don't know who started that rumor, but no, that that's not true. We finished making it at the end of 2014, and basically it it became. The movie of 2015. Uh, if you look uh, back at the uh, people like Newsweek, um, it all there, there was a lot of uh, professional media who were saying, "This is it. This is the movie of 2015. You've got to see this movie." A uh, lot of compliments about you know how professionally it was written and presented and, and all the rest of it, uh, and that was when it, it, it started uh, to get a, a huge amount of attention. And uh, at that stage, although we didn't know what was going on with the hits uh, within sort of the first nine months, uh, we didn't know uh, exactly where the hits were. I was suspicious uh, about what was going on because they were going up at 3,000 a night every night, exactly 
and I thought there's something wrong there. Could they be manipulating the hits? Uh, but it got to about two million or so, uh, and then uh, Andy Young, uh, dear old Andy, uh, who uh, had me on Raconteur's News, he said uh, it's being underreported by a, a horrendous amount, and basically it's been seen over a billion times, uh, and and then it was banned. So I, th I think it's because of that that it, it became uh, well a, w a worldwide cult. I mean, I, I've been, I've actually lost count now of how many times I've been interviewed by Americans, and I was on you know, America, Australian uh, media from Sweden. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it is definitely a, a global thing. Yeah, it's a uh, it, dude. You're I love what you did. Um, it. It really, really did paint the picture of, and it, it like it, like I believe it. I believe exactly what you what you have on there. You know, I know that because uh, Fritz. Well, actually, can I make another point then, Sean, with that? Because when I was looking through the comments today, um, it was uh, from a version that is it's been uploaded by uh, a man who who goes under the title "Truth Be Told," and at the top of the the public comments, he says, <clears throat> I'm not sure that I, I get all of it, or I'm not sure about all of it, but even if half of this is true, we're in real trouble. Well, later on, if you scroll down through the public comments, somebody says to him, well, come on now, you, you can't say that. If, if there's something that you think is not quite right, or you disagree with it, or you're not completely convinced, you, you, you've got to say what? And as always, and this is what I always find, that there's no response. You see, and, and that's important because there's obviously the, the intelligence agencies have tried this trick many, many times where they say, oh, this is a great film, but, oh, you're quite sure that this bit's right and that bit's right. You see, right, just to try yeah, and yeah. discredit it. You know, you, you, you get that all the time, these, you know, tricks that the, the intelligence agents pull. Um, so when... There's a comment there that seems to be genuine. <clears throat> it's important to me. <clears throat> excuse me, I'm very sorry. Sorry. We've had a windy day here. Um, that people, you know, if, if they're going to say, I wasn't sure about one little bit or wasn't sure about one little bit, you know, you, you, you've got to say why. And I have never, ever, ever, not once in all, I would have to say now, the history of this, this film, I've never, ever yet seen anyone take any single point from my film and say, I disagree with that because of this, and here's the criteria, and the criteria seems to be strong and impressive. I've never known that. What has actually happened is that the, the opposite tends to be true. Since the movie came out, and I think your viewers will be interested to hear this, what has happened is that people have watched my movie, they've, you know, gone, wow, like you did, and they've started doing their own research. <clears throat> and what they've tended to do is find supporting evidence for what I've said. And it's actually been very interesting that um, a lot of people very quickly started writing to me and saying, Mr. Connolly, not only are you totally right, but did you know that Hugo Boss were part of the, the you know, the people who had 
Jewish slaves during the war. Mm-hmm. And did you know this firm did? And did you know that Siemens did? Actually, I did. I, I, there just wasn't room, room to put it in the, in the movie. But it's recently come out that even BMW and, and, and VW, the car makers, were using you know, Jewish slaves during the war. So it is possible to say that what I kind of, the can that I leave it open has now been poured all over the floor and then it's possible to say now, I think, without too much, you know, danger of, of, of any comeback, that the, the, the entirety of German industry during the Second World War were responsible for slave labour and, 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 and were slave labour profiteers. And it's not like they've ever apologised for it or done anything about it. No, no. As a matter of fact, it just they just got bigger and bigger and bigger, and the money, you know, they just. So I was I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I've been playing around on Clubhouse. Have you heard about Clubhouse? No. Uh, it's a if you if you have an iPhone, uh, it's a place where you can go where it's um, audio only, and their rooms that people go in and they have deep conversations and they talk about stuff. I mean, it's really how it's taking off and what's happening in that in that ecosystem over there is unlike anything I've ever seen ever before in my life the real conversations that are taking place the I mean people are just being open honest and real and you know especially in the spaces that I'm in uh it's 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 really refreshing and it's I think you know, between podcasting and, you know, that type of communication, because we're communicating with all over the world, people that have access to this. Um, yeah. it, uh, it's really the last frontier of free speech because they haven't got a chance. You know, the podcasts are going to come after them at some point and shut them down because we're able to say too much. Uh, and in this one, I'm sure they're going to try to come after that. That's why I've been encouraging people that are in there that are you know, talking about doing other apps like this, I'm like, dude, do more because, yeah. you know, it's one of those things once, you know, they can't take them all down all at all at once. And so when one goes, there has to be more in its place. And I think the only way that we're going to beat mainstream media is with our own media. And, you know, you've got to fight fire with fire, you know, what, 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 yeah. what, what, what drowns out bad speech is better speech. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, uh, you know, it's it's a it looks like a very long road, and you know, with what I'm doing on the outside and what I'm trying to do with the nonprofit and the network that I want to build um, for my population, uh, yeah, they may not like what I'm saying, you know, but it's to me that's real, and you know, you can't deny any of this when they're when they're. All the social media and all the mainstream, when they bury things and don't report on them because, you know, and you can take whatever you want at that. You know, you talk a lot about this in uh, in, in Ricky's interview with the, with you, how journalism, d- d- like journalists now, should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, look at this thing. And I think maybe we'd better talk about this up front because I think it's the main sort of topic that's um – that's been going down uh, in in the last uh, few weeks, Sean. Uh, I think people would want me to say something about it. But how how much more shameful could this whole thing have been with Meghan Markle and Oprah Winfrey? Um, I've no doubt that people will 
expect me to say this, but I'm going to say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope that all of the people who've been following my work and yours and Ricky's have been able to see that Oprah and Meghan were just acting. Mm-hmm. And that's what that was. I mean, to me, the, 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 the camera angles, the editing, the presentation, and, and the, the, the delivery, the, the, the preciseness of the way in which Oprah's jaw drops open at the, uh, with the thing about, oh, you know, they were wondering what colour my baby was going to be. I mean, let's start with something very simple. To begin with, Meghan Markle, that's a coloured woman? Come on. She is as black as an as an albino rabbit. <laughs> Come on. I mean, well, get real. I mean, it's it's absolutely stupid. She's supposed to have one coloured parent or, or something. I have always thought that she looks, and I think this is why she was chosen, very, very much so like an English public school girl. Well, in, in the years that I taught in, in public schools, uh, you know, the, we've got some extremely posh... Um, see, this, uh, I'm going to have to explain that. Because it, it's the other way around in, in, in America. You know, what, public schools here are private schools. They're, they're the moneyed schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the ones, as I say, that are in Yorkshire, especially Ampleforth, uh, that's where you meet the absolute elite. That's how I wound up knowing what these people are, are like mm-hmm. uh, because I was I was teaching them. And Meghan Markle, I always thought from the very start, has got a very, like I say, British public school girl face. And I think, first of all, she was chosen because she was an American divorcee, and I think that they wanted that to be a hook into the the whole story of, of, of her and the prince because it's the same thing as uh, Edward and Mrs. Simpson. You know, what, what Edward and Wallace Simpson, it's it, it's the same thing. Oh, he married an American divorcee. So then the, the journalists have got a, an easy link to that, you see. They, they can make comparisons. But in that conversation with Oprah, that was simply fake news. That's all it was. That That, that whole thing was made up. And why was it made up? Because they're trying to shift the focus away from Prince Andrew. And the thing that's most delighted me over this past couple of weeks is the amount of people who've seen it and and said so. One of the lawyers uh, representing Epstein's victims and Ghislaine Maxwell's victims said so immediately. And and again, it's interesting. The, The most interesting thing going on at the moment is how much autonomy do the mainstream media journalists have because I've been surprised sometimes at uh, those who have definitely come out against Prince Andrew and kept the Prince Andrew uh, story going uh, do you think Americans are, are aware of, <clears throat> of who Lorraine Kelly is uh, do you think do you, do you know that name I don't, I don't, she, I'm she, not even familiar with that name Well, she, she, she does the morning breakfast show after Piers Morgan, or did until he, you know, so dramatically quit. And w- what I found is that people did instantly see 
that the whole thing with Piers Morgan walking away, that that, that was just trying to put drama on top of the, the story. I mean, it's just absolute bull. It was, it, was, it was really obvious. Children, I know, have said, oh, you know, he was, he's that man again. He's, he's just giving it more of this every bloody time. It, it's, you don't need to be a genius to see that, that, uh, that Piers was acting. And, uh, and, and like I say, I, I, I think that there's been fewer people, but I, I think it is getting there <clears throat> now that they're starting to realise that the whole Meghan Oprah thing w- was to, to get the spotlight off Prince Andrew. And like I say, Lorraine Kelly, who's this little Scottish woman, uh, and she's a pleasant little thing, um, she apparently made... Uh, a very deliberate effort to throw her hat into the ring, as it were, by waiting until the credits were rolling and then saying out loud, the only person who will be happy about this is Prince Andrew. Mm. So, you know, and that was going out on mainstream media. So it's been, as I say, it, it, it hasn't worked. It didn't work. And as soon as I realised that it, it, it wasn't going to work, I thought, I know what they're going to do here. They're going to bring up something else to, to, to try to get people brainwashed and looking at something else. The whole, you know, Meghan Markle thing, it's, it's fallen flat, hasn't done its job. So what are they going to do? They're going to bring up something else. That was what I was thinking. And sure enough, we have this story about this Sarah Everhard who's supposed to be this beautiful woman. It's always a pretty girl. Mm-hmm. It's always a pretty girl in every bloody story. Uh, and she's supposed to be this beautiful woman murdered by a police officer. And a couple of days afterwards, and I, I, I sent you the, uh, you know, the, the, the photograph, there was all these <clears throat> pictures on the front of the our tabloid papers here, photographs of protests in London, allegedly, Thousands of women saying, "Oh, we're not protected uh, by the, you know, the police at all, and it's disgusting." Da, 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 da. And you've never seen such obviously fake photographs. If I had enough time, um, and I would need to be in a lecture theatre, I could show people how the Charlie Hebdo photographs were a collage of pictures from uh, other demonstrations from long ago that were sort of glued together. And today, with the, the technology that they have, it can make it seem like one thing. Yeah. But the problem that they've had this time is that because everybody's wearing a mask at the moment, they've had to paint masks on, you see. And that completely distorts uh, the, 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 the entire effect that... The depth perception isn't there. You can see that the the mask, as it were, is right at the front of the the, the screen. It's oh. not on the person. You see what I mean? Yeah. And and, and they tried to get round that by having everybody hold up their mobile phones, so it looks like they're at a, a fireworks display holding up a firework. But you can tell, even so, that there's there's no depth to the picture. So there's another classic example of mainstream media trying to completely mislead the public as to what's going on out in the real world 
and, and trying to create a, a mainstream media bubble that people can basically drown in and, and, and lose their heads in. And, and uh, that's what's, as I say, been going on here over the last uh, few weeks, or oh, a few days, it's not that long now. Uh, that's what's been going on here over the last few days. And, and I, you know, the, the feedback I've had is that it's, you know, the, it's not making a difference. People are seeing through it. And this whole thing with Prince Andrew is just not going away. And I'm very pleased about it. I'm very sorry I've, I've messed up the, the film. Oh, no, no, you're sorry. all right. Yeah, so, I mean, I believe, and I think you had mentioned it in that interview with uh, Ricky from the uh, Ripple Effect podcast, which if anybody out there uh, subscribed to that show, he's got a great show. He's got great guests on his show, just like uh, Francis here. Um, but he's 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 doing bigger things than I am. Uh, I'm just in the I'm in the beginning uh, phases of, of of kind of what I'm doing, and uh, but I'm in a different lane as well too. So, but what I noticed is that, or or my thoughts on this with Epstein is. So Ghislaine Maxwell gets busted. You got uh, Jean-Luc Brunel who gets busted. Um, So you've got pieces of these things are coming out. But every time something something comes out, there's another distraction to to kind of like shift the focus away from what's happening. Um, You know, like the news focus away from it. And what I think it is is I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised at the timing of when when the pandemic hit was around the time that all of this stuff started coming out about the child exactly. trafficking exactly, um, my exactly. all that stuff and so the reason exactly. why they're willing to put that much into it because if we found out that that's what was really going on there would probably be a worldwide revolt you know yeah. And exactly. and there's no coming back from that, right? There's no coming back from 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 realizing that you know that the that the uh, I don't know what they call them the uh, the the intelligence services uh, do what they do to get politicians in their pocket uh, and get legislation passed the way that they need to, you know, because exactly. when you when you think about some of the things that they do and it just doesn't make sense the laws that get passed or the stimulus bills that that have so much pork in them or fat in them you know that don't even address like we just had another one point what 1.9 trillion uh infusion that that most of it didn't even make it to to the people that it actually affected it's you know giving it to the donor class and all of these other people. And so I feel like a lot of these people are bought and paid for. And the difference is now is that when you – they used to be able to kill your credibility with uh, taking pictures of you cheating on your wife with a prostitute. Well, now no one gives a shit about that. Exactly. No, no, one, no, yeah. one, no one cares if, you, if you're screwing yeah. somebody and, and being unfaithful in your marriage. That's not, yeah. a, that's not a, a, a career killer anymore. Exactly. But with children – that's the that's it yeah there's that's no coming the, back there's no exactly. coming back from that when when orwell um was at the height of his powers he wrote this book the line and the unicorn and said some very interesting things about the british the, the most interesting being that the british really don't ha- have or need any kind of philosophy 
or a, or a world view. It, it's, it's just not what they go in for at, at all. But he did say that the, the way that our class system works is that if the people at the very top get a little tug from below that makes them, you know, the, the public get the message across somehow, oh, no, 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 you can't do that, then the people at the very top respond. And, it, and I'll bet you if he was here right now, he'd be saying that this whole thing with Prince Andrew is the classic example. People, as you say, Sean, I mean, you know, oh, oh, this man, it turned out he had a boyfriend. Who cares now? Mm. You know, or it turned out he was, you know, shagging half a dozen Chinese women or, or, or dozens of nuns. Today, I mean, we live, we live in a, I do think, <laughs> uh, you know, this thing with Jim Jeffries, he, he did this really funny sketch, which, which I thought was his best work. Where um, you know where you did the thing, the egg story, you know, show, showing the plastic egg up his bum, <laughs> and I think that that has, has really altered our culture mm-hmm. far more than people realise. You know, he he was completely honest about making a complete fool of himself. Yeah, yeah. By by, by trying to have the the greatest session of masturbation that anybody's ever had. <laughs> And I think it's it's brought a frankness to discourse mm-hmm. that anything that you know in, involving sexuality that, that has has ever been before. And as you say, people today do not go off the deep end with anything to do with homosexuality, with masturbation, with with, with playing around with women in, in any sense. But it is still there that nobody is going to accept anything to do with child sex. That is the cut-off point. Everybody reacts in the same way. And the people at the top know it. And like I say with this thing with Lorraine Kelly, when the uh, interview with Emily Maitlis um, happened, the next morning, to my great surprise, she had a woman called Jenny Bond. I don't suppose you'll have heard that name either. Jenny Mm. Bond. She was a BBC presenter for a lot of years, classic upper-middle-class, Hampstead voice, etc. And um, she was just arch-typically BBC. And she was the kind of woman who I thought, because it was a royal family story, I thought she might be happy to just leave it alone and, and, you know, to just not discuss it. So I I was slightly surprised that she was one of the first ones to say that Prince Andrew has made a complete, you know, fool of himself. And and Lorraine Kelly and and, and this woman really basically eviscerated Prince Andrew for about half an hour. Uh, You can still see this. um, It's it's on YouTube if anybody wants to see it. I think your audience might be interested to, to see that because they absolutely dismantled Prince Andrew, and basically were saying, you know, that the whole thing about not sweating, that's going to haunt him to his grave. It, that's, that's how he's going to be remembered. And, and this is true. You know, right. it, it, it's, it, it's very true. So, uh, you know, our, our, uh, this whole thing with, you know, how much autonomy 
the 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 the, the British journalists have. That's the the interesting question at the moment, and I'm wondering whether it's going to affect this whole thing about you know Ghislaine Maxwell's trial. I want to say again, as I did on uh, you know on the ripple effect. And I said so on uh, the truth dealers, and I don't see any reason to change my view up to this point. I still do not believe that Ghislaine Maxwell is incarcerated. I have tried and tried and tried <clears throat> to find somebody, because I, I obviously can't fly at the moment. They just shoot the plane now. I've tried to find somebody who could go to the MDC and, and you know, try to get a, a word with the guards or whatever and... Or, try to film her actually in her prison cell. I don't believe she's there. I still say it's just a ruse to to try and take the attention away from Prince Andrew. But if I'm wrong, and, you know, the, the July is getting closer and closer and closer, <clears throat> I still don't believe that we're, we're ever going to see in court a woman who could finger all of the most powerful men in, in the world. I, I just can't believe that will, will ever happen. I think this whole thing will end with the news everybody is expecting. Oh, guess what, everybody? She yes. Died. Uh, yeah. Somebody in prison, you know, crazy woman stabbed her when she was sweeping the floor or, 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 or she's caught some disease or something. They're going to bring out something, some excuse to, to, to bury the story. I, I think they're just keeping it, spinning it out now as long as they have, to, to try, as I say, to, to get pr the Prince Andrew thing to, f to finally die away. And it's, it's not dying away. And, the, the, and it won't die away. I, 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 there are so many people like yourself in the world now who want to know what has really been going on there and who want to know what the whole thing has really been uh, about. So, um, I'll, as I say, this whole thing with Lorraine Kelly and Jelly Bond, I'll be interested to see whether they... Uh, at any time, and I don't think they will, but you know, sometimes people surprise you. I'll be interested to see whether they take it upon themselves to any degree to try and find out what is it. Well, yeah, is is, is really going on, and trying to find out what what the people really want to know. It's been pointed out over and over again that nobody, not no one in your government, no one in your media, nobody in the British media, has made any attempt to try and find out the links between Epstein and the intelligence services and Maxwell and the intelligence service. Nobody has. Why is that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, her dad was Mossad, right? Exactly. John, well, he was... Robert Maxwell, <laughs> is that what his name was? Robert Maxwell. He's also a big-time uh, book uh, publisher or had something to do with, with publishing. Pergamon Press was, yeah. was his thing. He, how, again, very suspicious um, how he wound up with that. Pergamon Press were a hugely successful uh, publisher of uh, academic books. They were publishing all of the science papers in, 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 in Britain. Very interesting uh, manipulation, I think, by the people at the very top, that, that he was given credibility by that means. Yeah. Uh, you know, his Pergamon Press were, were very important at one stage, but once he was gone, and I still don't believe that, you know, 
his death happened. I believe he faked his own death. He, he did, did not commit suicide. He wasn't the type to commit suicide. He was he was too much of a megalomaniac. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I still say that he he faked his own death. But once he was gone, the that was uh, that was the end of Pergamon Press. It was sold to somebody else. So, my question to you is. How did you get involved in even making this making a documentary? Is that your is that in your background? Are you did you have filmmaking in your background, or or are you a writer? Or you said you were you were a teacher, right? No, well, I started out as uh, as an artist, um, basically uh, as a painter. I did um, I did art at, at uh, York University, and. Um, I went there because it was it was one of the first um, degrees offered that that was split, and you could do film studies with with art. You say so. I was painting in the mornings and start le- learning how to make films in the afternoon. And oh god, I don't want to be immodest, but I was very surprised at how uh, the paucity, put it that way, of the effort of of, of the other. Um, Students uh, surprised me. They didn't seem to want to make movies and and, and have something to say. And uh, it, it, it actually got quite embarrassing because there were staff members who used to come to me to make films for them once I, I got a reputation. So that was how it started. And um, professionally, I made... Um, documentaries for the British Health Service here and things like that. Um, and I, I wanted to be, the, the, the plan was that I was going to make, uh, you know, documentaries for the BBC or something like that uh, and then move from there into movies because I, I wanted to be a, a, a dramatist. But uh, <laughs> now that I look back, they I'm, I'm perfectly certain that from the day I was born that the uh, MI5 had me under a microscope because of my grandfather, um, because they do this. Um, I've no doubt they'll... Anybody who is um, effectively anti-establishment, they target their families and their offspring. And uh, my grandfather was one of the men who organised the Jarrow March, which I've, I've tried to explain before. I won't take long on that, but it, it was a, a very important, very big part of... Uh, the history of British uh, industrial relations, the, the Jarrow March. Uh, it took a lot of organising. Like I say, my grandfather was one, was one of the uh, preeminent uh, personalities in that. And I and now now that looking at how things went for me, um, I can see that they've targeted me from I say virtually the day that I was I was born uh, to you know make sure that I was never given a job that that had any uh, great power. Um, Media is. I, I, that's why I had to uh, go uh, teaching for for so long, um, and I very nearly. I, I was very very close to uh, making a breakthrough. Uh, I mean, I did finally uh, with the the BBC. I had a, a play uh, on, on the BBC, uh, but I, you know, very nearly made a, a breakthrough in uh, in Hollywood because um, the, the the gentleman who produced uh oh god what was his name parfit david parfit that right um he he produced um 
a Hollywood movie that won a, a, an Oscar. Um, he was interested in a couple of scripts that uh, that I, I wrote, and he, he was even considering making both of them from the same budget. Um, and I'd still be perfectly willing to, to make them if anybody's uh, you know out there wants to to put up the the budget. They, they, they're, they're both uh, war films, so that it uh, you know the, the the date doesn't matter. Uh, but like I say, that that was uh, I was actually in the middle of writing one of my screenplays. And this whole thing started with 9/11, which was why I actually took a while. I didn't, I didn't hit the ground running, put it that way, with with 9/11. I was sure when when it first happened that it was, you know, there was something wrong. Um, but bit by bit, I started to realise how wrong it was, which culminated in finding out that uh, you know the BBC's own people, who had obviously hadn't read the right script because they were working in the Middle East. And they found out that the, the the hijackers were all alive. That wasn't supposed to happen uh, at all, Sean. That that I can tell you now. That I bet you somebody got what, fired a hundred times over for, for for that. And that that was not meant to happen. That was a huge error on the BBC's part. I'm I'm, I'm sure about that. I, I bet a lot of people lost their jobs over that. Uh, but once that, as I say, that information came on board. Um, and I'd spent, you know, my whole life trying to find out the truth about uh, Kennedy, and then all of a sudden there was this uh, melding of, of the two stories, and that was when I realised oh, I'm going to have to, you know, put the screenplays to one side and the drama to one side for for now, and, and I've got uh, suddenly a lot of work to do, and uh, that was when I started to write the uh, the story. Yeah, it. Uh, yeah, I like the way that you you connected the families, the Bushes. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know that you know the Bush family is really one of the biggest crime families in in the United States, next yeah, to the yeah. next to the Clintons, um, and you know some of the some of the other families. But I mean, it's just like I was I was telling somebody once, and you know, in order to understand the national scene, look at your own local. Uh, politics, right? And there's always going to be somebody in your township or your county or your area that's been there for the longest. And it's usually those families that own everything. Yeah. And those families get get uh, they get uh, they get breaks from the city councils, and you know they they they're allowed to do things, and yeah. and you know you'll see businesses pop up, you know, next to other businesses that are already like, well, why would you put another gas station there when we have this one over here? Well, it's a bigger and better one, and they're one of they want to uh, x that one out, right? Because if something yeah. better comes along, then it's just going to push them out of business, but. Would you like if you were a, a thinking common sense wise? Like, why would you do that? You know, it doesn't make sense unless it's you know, it, like I wouldn't if I was on a board and uh, on the city council and somebody came to me and said I want to put a, a a like business like one that's already there. I would be like, well, that's no, probably not a good idea. Why don't you pick a different location? You know, so it's it's fair. But you see, this is why I think that what you're doing specifically, Sean. Um, could turn out to be very important because the focus you seem to be taking is very much one of practicality of politics that goes right down to a local level and is really about the thing that this is really all about, which is you know ordinary working people suffering 
because of the corruption in your country and mine. You know, and how how the behaviour of the crazy George Bushes and Donald Trumps and, and Clintons and one thing or another manifests itself on the street. I mean, look at the. I've I've been just well shocked. No, I'm not shocked, but it is absolutely horrific to see what's happened to uh, Los Angeles in just the the last sort of year. I mean. I mean it's, it, there's more people living on the street mm-hmm, mm-hmm. than are living in, in, in homes. And, you know, wh- why is that happening? It's happening because it's a deliberate policy of your corrupt political class at this moment in time to frighten people, to hold them down, to keep them living in fear by creating these appalling social scenes of, 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 of so many Americans being homeless. And basically, the, the whole idea is to, to say, you know, you down will obey us or you're going to wind up in, this, in, in the same situation. And, and so, you know, they hope, you know, with that kind of tactic that no one is going to kick against, uh, you know, the, the, the structure of society. But that is what we all have got to do, and that's why I'm glad that you know this approach that you're, the specific approach that you're taking, it is the right approach. You know, it is to start with the working man, with the with the nurse, with the bricklayer, with the teacher, with the university pr- professor, and say to all of them, you know, we've all got a common bond, we all have a common goal, and any opportunity that that there is to dismantle this system that we've got. We've got to take it because, you know, Americans have got to face up to it, that the American way has failed. It's the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think there. I think a lot of them uh, are. I mean, it's everything. It doesn't matter. I, mean, I know that your. I don't know much about your political system, but I know that the one here is is it. It's there's just one. There's one. There's one. There's one government, and it's a donor class. It's the people that are paying the politicians, giving them money for reelections, doing all of these things uh, to to like they've literally captured our government to where it doesn't work for the people anymore. And, and I don't know if at any point in time it ever did. Uh, I think maybe uh, uh, who's that guy that did the uh, the New Deal? Um, Roosevelt, FDR. Yeah. FDI. Yeah, but they're all kind of the same, right? They all run around in the same the same circles. They're 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 elites, you know. Nancy Pelosi, she's the same thing, you know. It's like, all right, well, why is it okay for you to be enriched because you have information that uh, the government is now going to be buying, uh, switching all of their vehicles over to uh, Teslas? And you just went and bu- dumped a bunch of money into Tesla stock. Yeah, into stock, Tesla stock, exactly. You know, now really? now you've made more money. But if I were to do that and somebody gave me a tip, I'd go to jail. Exactly, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the billionaires and trillionaires in this world have made a, another horrific amount of money purely and simply because they knew the pandemic was coming knew which shares to buy and all of the people basically who make um, face masks and all the other paraphernalia that's involved with the pandemic, they've made a, mm-hmm. a, a ton of money. That You see, this is what I'm trying to get across to people is that if you want to be in that inner circle, 
If you want to be up there at the top, you've got to sell your soul. That's that's what it costs. You have to sell your soul. You've got to abuse a child and let them film it, and that is how they control you. And once you're in that circle that's, that's at the very top, and it's a very small circle, Ronald Bernard, this man whose uh, testimony has been so important about child abuse, he reckons that it, it doesn't cover more than just a, a, a few thousand men and that they rule everything. And they are in the know, as you say, it's they and they alone who have all of the most important information. And therefore, because you don't have the, that information, how on earth can you can you ever uh, beat them? How on earth can you ever take them on? How on earth can, can you, you know, they, they become unassailable? So, and that's the whole idea. I mean, they want to have a game that is, it would be exactly like a game of football played on, on a pitch that was, you know, a, a hill. And, 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 and they want to be able to cement up their own goal. And, and, and your goal has to be bigger than usual. And, and you know, that's the way these that people think. That's the way that, that a ruling class thinks. And they believe that it's, it's nature. The, the, the best description I've ever heard of these people. And then I, I came across a few years ago, I heard someone say that, you know, they, they are genuinely social Darwinists. They really do believe that, well, some people are smarter than others, just the same as a lion, you know, bites harder than a hyena. So it, that's it. It's, it. it's just nature for some people to dominate the, the whole world. And they, they really believe that. And that's why we've got this situation with the Queen and the Princes and, and, and Meghan Markle, because they think they're genuinely entitled to mislead and misinform and, and, and deceive their own people. It's class war. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I often believe that, uh, you know, it's not I, – I think they use racism as a, a cloak um, to, to hide the class, the, the cla- the class system. Well, the, the thing with racism, Sean, the most important thing with it is that they know, you see, that – most white people have got no idea about the, the truth of what black slavery was and who was responsible for it. They have no idea that the black man was every bit as responsible for black slavery as the white man. Some people think even more so. So because they, you know, the, most of the public are ignorant about the, the, the true history of black slavery, and because I think, you know, there's very few people who are free from any kind of of, of, of racial tension, they've used race as a, as a club almost. It, if you're being constantly told day in day day in day out by the uh, media, oh you're a racist, and, and and you don't love black people as much as you should, and and you don't give them a job, and you don't give them a chance, da 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 da, on and on and on and on every day, you know this coverage it just. It's like a sermon that, that, that never stops. The effect of that, and, and, and this is the whole idea, is self-censorship. If, if a person thinks that they're at all guilty of racism, then they try not to think about it. And when you're trying not to think about one subject, you don't think about anything. Mm. That's the whole idea. 
It's self-censorship. That's why racism, and, and that's why they used it with this whole Meghan Markle thing and tried to make such a, a, you know, a drama, such an episode of Dallas out of it. Yeah, what I do, what I do believe though is I do believe in systematic racism and you know the the systems that they have in place that keep poor people down, uh, keep people in their places. Uh, I believe that that exists, but the the more uh, overt racism, I think I think racism has become more covert versus overt. You know, it's been a long time, but maybe it's because I'm in California and California is really kind of liberal and, you know, everybody kind of is, is, you know, love everyone and you don't see a whole lot of that going on. But what I have noticed, though, um, and, and I do have another another question to, to circle back, um, but I, I want to say this while it's still in my mind. Um, the so what I what I noticed the other day or actually it was last night. And I was talking in a room, and we were speaking about different subjects, and like the whole, the whole mask thing, the whole pandemic thing, you know how it people were, you know if you're if if you don't believe that mask if if you don't want to wear a mask then you're part of the problem, that you know it's it's that division thing, right? Well, in the beginning of the pandemic they locked us all down so we couldn't congregate so we couldn't talk about hey is this kind of strange to you because where does that usually happen that happens in the parks it happens in at the the bars it happens you know in places where people congregate they start exchanging ideas and going hey this this seems really funny to me what what do you see like what are you what are you seeing and they eliminated all of that now you can't even get people to even talk about it because they're afraid they're going to be ridiculed by somebody saying, oh, you're a denier? Are you denying that there's no pandemic? And so nobody's even talking about it. And so I noticed that in these rooms and I'm going, God, that's so crazy how they were just able to what how they're able to do that. And so it's just like even now that we're able to go out, the conversation is shut down. Because nobody yeah. wants to engage in it. So censorship, yeah. Just what you're saying. Yeah. It's, it's uh, that's amazing. So the part, of the question that I wanted to ask was, uh, so with these very powerful people that you're calling out, um, and the things that 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 you're you've put out there, did you ever at any point worry that you would get any pushback from it in a uh, a negative, like uh, cancel Francis kind of way? <laughs> um, how, how do you mean by pushback? That, that's that's not a, a word that we hear over, over here. Well, like just, like like uh, friction, like um, you know, obviously you weren't worried about it because you put it out there. But after you put it out there, did it ever cross your mind that uh, you know maybe they might try to come after you for it and and, well, and quiet you? Well, I was I was threatened, um, you know, emails and phone calls and whatnot. But I've always taken the view that if you're up against fascism, which is what we're up against, I mean, our democracy is just a carefully crafted illusion. That is all it is. It's something that they it's it's a spell that they cast every day to make us think that we're free when we're not. And when you're up against fascism, I mean, it's, it's just the same as as fighting. Hitler, I mean, 
you, you, you've got two choices. You can either lie down and accept it, which means you know your your one and only life is going to be wasted because you're not, you're not going to live at all. Or you can stand up and do what's right. So I stand up or try to stand up and and, and do what's right. And and the, the, one of the things that I think is mo- that that's come out of this whole era. Um, and, and I was so pleased to, to to see this. Somewhere on YouTube, there's a video that goes under the title, and I hope your audience look it up. But it's put under the title, um, probably the most honest three minutes of television in television history. I, th- I hope I've got that right. But it's it's from it's an excerpt from uh, some American TV series that we've not had here. I, 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 it's, I don't know if it's called the newsroom or, or something like that. But in it, there's a, a man who gives this absolutely devastating speech about America no longer being the greatest country in the world. I'll come back to that in a moment because that in itself is just a rich man's trick. Um, but, you know, he, he says that in the past, the biggest difference between um, I would say Americans at the time of the, the revolution and uh, certainly since then, all the way up until now. But I think it's true of other people as well. Um, is that in the past, people just didn't scare so easily. That's one of the big problems that we've got t- today is that people scare too easily. You know, the the people who are doing this to us, they're just people. They get scared too. They're absolutely shitting bricks at this moment in time. They are absolutely terrified that at any moment a, a, a mob is going to come and, and, and tear down Buckingham Palace and, you know, drag Prince Andrew out. That's what the Queen is terrified of, seeing her, her favourite son being attacked by the mob. That's why we've been locked down. And the American ruling class are every bit as worried um, about uh, having a real, <laughs> instead of a fake, <laughs> attack. Because the, the the one that we saw, that was just, again, fake news. Oh, the, ins- the, the insurrection? The, the, that, the insurrection was just to- totally fake. No, nobody's telling me that there was anything real about that. They, they, they knew that Trump was going on his way out. And they just, you know how they always say, you know, if if there's a, a crisis, you know, you must never let a crisis go to waste. They knew that Trump was on his way out, so it's okay, let's, you know, drum up a story about it. But the people who were filmed inside those offices, the ones who were just calmly walking about, Sean, I've seen a riot. I know what a riot looks like. When I was a little boy, sometimes I used to go to watch Newcastle United play at what place called St. James's Park, which is a very famous stadium that we have in this country. And I've seen riots there. I know how people behave. Yeah, it's chaos. Excuse me, <clears throat> during a riot, and there was nothing. There was nothing about that that was that was uh, that was that was genuine. That was a, a a fake riot. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't believe that it was either because I mean, you when it came out, you I mean, you literally see them letting them in, letting them through the doors, and kind of like you know walking in, taking selfies with the. Uh, I mean, it was almost like it was a field trip in some aspects. Yeah. You know, and and yeah, some people got shot and some people, you know, got hurt and there were some other things. And don't don't take this the wrong way that I'm a Trump supporter and I, you know, support uh, violence and, and, you know, all of that. I don't. 
Um, I think there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things, but there are some things that you just can't, you can't like just use your brain, common sense, you know, it, 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 if it doesn't, if it doesn't fit, you got to look at it a little closer, you know? And I think a, a huge part of the problem is that, you know, when people, uh, they, they've got it down to a point to where when you're going to school, you don't pay attention to anything. Now they don't really teach you a whole lot in terms of like learning how to have critical thinking skills. Uh, they, they dumb you down with the education. And by the time you actually get, so you, they dumb you down with the education. Then you go into, if you decide you want to go into college, they load you up with debt. So now you have no choice but to work a job you don't like uh, for money to pay off that debt. So you so you get indoctrinated, you get into debt and do, you, you get indoctrinated into debt slavery from the time you get into college. And now they they have this uh, this this debt over you, which you can never get rid of because the government subsidizes the loans uh, that they give you. And so now you're in debt to the government forever until you pay yeah. that off. And so you can. Yeah, you're all of your life. And yeah. that is what it's all about. And that's why, as I said earlier, Sean, I think that you're taking the right approach with what you do. Because it's this kind of control that we've got to break free from. And what I'm trying to do is make people realize that it isn't just the, the loan that you have to take out as, as a student, that it is absolutely endemic in everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Everything. Every part of American life and British life, the justice system, the media system, absolutely everything is corrupt now to the marrow of its bones. And it's all about keeping you under the thumb of the rich man from the moment you're born to the moment that you die. That really you, you're never able to break free. And, and, you know, the only way, as I said, that you can ever be sort of wealthy and ever be part of a leisure class is to sell your soul as Ghislaine Maxwell has done that, that's the only way I mean okay that there have been people the, the only way that you can anomalies can they're, they're anomalies yeah I mean if you're as talented as Billy Connolly or yeah. Paul McCartney or John McEnroe well then but you see that they, I found that they they find ways to control people like that as well. So, you know, if we're ever going to break free, this is the thing that that people need to realize, is that absolutely everything, you should take, you should not accept anything that you're given. Anything. It doesn't matter. The, what, no matter what you're told at school, no matter what you're told as an adult at work, no matter what you're told by the media, your first thought should always be, is this a lie? And is this something that's been designed to control me? Because everything has been. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what they tell you when you're in prison. You know, don't ever accept something from somebody. Like if somebody comes up to you and they want to offer you something and say, hey, man, here you go. I'm just trying to help you out. No, no, no. There's something that's always attached to that. It, once you accept it, that you, you are now in a contract for something you may not even know you're in a contract for. 
especially if it's somebody that's bigger than you. You know, it, <laughs> it, it could, you could be in a contract for something that uh, you know you you definitely don't want. Um, it, well, it, it, particularly if he's holding a jar of Vaseline. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's great, man. Um, so you wanted to talk about some other stuff too. Like, um, I kind of got all my, like the questions that I, that I want, like kind of answered. I mean, we're kind of in the same of the same thing, right? We, we both think sort of the same way. Um, and I just, uh, I don't know, man. I, I don't like, how do you, how do you, how do you win? I mean, if how do you man, you maneuver in in this when you know all of this, right? And you're trying to get people and wake people up, and you know, I, most people are so busy in their day to day lives that they don't have the time. And I think that's by design. You know, if we if we keep them so busy, they don't have a chance to to look at look any further than what's in front of them. Yeah, and you know, it. By the time that we are, by the time you wake up, it's already too late. You're already, you already own a whole lot, bunch of debt. Um, you're in, you have a family, you have a mortgage, you have all of these things that, that still enslave you into the system or the matrix or whatever it is that you want to, you want to call it. Absolutely, yeah. And so you either buck the system and figure out a way to make money and, and, and get away from it. And I remember somebody was telling me something they, they, there was a homeless person. And I thought to myself, I'm like, you know what? They're the only ones that are free. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it sucks the way they have to live. But I mean, if you really think about it, they don't have any responsibility. They're not, they're they're not being subjected to the uh the constant bombardment from mainstream media once you turn it on it's literally it's repeat 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 rinse yeah. repeat 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 rinse re- repeat 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 rinse and that's that programming right you're you're being you're being you're being flashed you're being flash mobbed um uh, information to where now it's been imprinted on you and i like when i turn it on now since i don't watch it at all it's just like ah, turn that, turn it off, get it away from me because it's like I'm being attacked, and it's traumatizing, and it's uh, and it's uh, it's uh, there's just something about it. Once you unplug from it, when you when it, when you see it again, it's almost it's almost like you come across your abuser, right? Yeah, and That's just just way to express that, my friend. Yeah, you know, and 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 what what is PTSD? It's the the anxiety that you get from being in the same space like take take somebody who's been raped or or brutally raped or something and you the the moment that they see that person right it's like they're frozen yeah. in time they're just like yeah. then they start shaking and it's like they don't know what to do sometimes you see a kid and they'll pee their pants right because th- that's that PTSD and that anxiety that that people that they brings into you and i feel mm-hmm. the same way about our government and I feel the same way about the media, mainstream media and the news outlets. Um, our government is exact is, is, is responsible for that too, because I feel like we, with what they do to us and how like America, we're the only ones that haven't, we've gotten what 1800, 1400, uh, 2000, maybe I think 
2,200, 2,600 total since the pandemic started and they shut everything down, where you have other countries that are getting taken care of, but they're not doing that here. So I feel like we're, we're in this abusive relationship with our government. It's almost a narcissistic, uh, uh, a, a narcissistic abuser. Yeah, the thing is, Sean, that the reason that it's become so much more intense, that, you know, us being hammered down, the reason that police officers have, have very, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much uh, Americans have, have noticed the, the, the change. You probably haven't noticed it as much as we have, where the behavior of, of the police are concerned, because um, my one... Uh, direct experience of police brutality um, with American cops was when I was in uh, New York uh, in, I think, in 1982. And there was a, a black man who was drunk uh, on the lying on the pavement. And he wasn't harming anybody. Uh, he, he had bare feet. He, he just had a pair of uh, jeans on. And... Um, I, I was just going to step around him. He, you know, he was just sort of intoxicated. And there was a couple of cops walking towards me. And um, I was struck by how sinister they were in comparison to British cops at, at the time. In those days, the average British policeman um, felt like a gentleman. He, he, he really did. That was what it was like then. And they didn't have a paramilitary uniform on here then. Uh It was a sort of an old blue thing with that silly pointed helmet. And, you know, (laughs) yes, they were dumb, but they weren't thugs, or not obviously thugs. So as I'm I'm watching these two American policemen, they've both got the the dark glasses on that makes you you look like a robot. And it, it was the insouciant way that they just drew their nightsticks and laid into this black man, hitting him on the head, on the shins, and everything. And he was in agony in seconds. And, and basically, they you know stuck the sticks in his guts and said, "Sit up, you asshole!" and, and all this kind of thing. And I thought, "My God, this is American law enforcement. This is this is what it should be like." So if it was like that then, you may not have noticed a, such a huge change. But in this country, like I say, in, when I was, a, you know, an undergraduate, you wouldn't have said that um, anybody would have wanted to complain much about the the behaviour of the police. There was corruption, but uh, you know, the, the, as civilised human beings, they didn't have too much wrong with them then. Now, the the cops here are much more like your cops. They're much more in your face. They, they appear to be hiring people who are much more ignorant, much more brutal, much more inclined to fight and, and, and get in your face. And this whole thing is happening because you and I are having this conversation and there are millions of people all over the world having identical conversations. We're learning more. We're growing. We're, you know, there's this intellectual growth that's happening because of films like my own that are, that are out there and loose change and, and, and because there are men out there like David Icke there's this swelling of, of the intellect swelling of awareness more and more people are getting awake that was why I made such a point um, 
when I was on with Ricky Virandis. And I'd like to make it again that this is why they've tried to take the whole notion of what woke culture is and they've perverted it. You know, I'll, I'll let people uh, watch, uh, see the the interview that uh, Ricky did with me, uh, rather than you know spoil your own uh, interview because the, you know they, they can find that. I think I go on about it quite a bit there, but it's because they, the people at the, at the top, feel increasingly threatened that they're increasingly brutally trying. To, to slam it down and doing more and more dirty things like making all the people in Los Angeles homeless. That is why it, it, all of these things are happening. And that is why it is getting more and more and more and more to a breaking point. And when you say, you know, how do we win this in the end? I don't think we are far away from winning it. I, I, I really don't. <clears throat> My big fear at this moment in time. Sorry, I'm really struggling tonight. No, no worries. More water in the That My big fear in all of this is that they'll do something really crazy. I, I, I still want people to look at the film, but in the film, you know, I've, I've brought up the, the scenario, what if they really did uh, launch a nuclear weapon on, on their own people and claim it's North Korea or the Chinese or something like that. If we keep pushing them at, at the rate that we are now and they just become more and more and more paranoid, which is what tends to happen, my big fear is that, you know, in order to stay in power, because power is the only thing they know, power is the only thing that they want. That's what the ruling class are about, it's just purely and simply power. Um, you can guarantee that if they ever use a nuclear weapon against their own people, it won't be dropped anywhere near Wall Street. <laughs> mm -hmm. Anybody living in New York is going to be safe. I would be very surprised if they harmed anywhere near Los Angeles because that's where Hollywood is. Not Silicon Valley because that's well, where that's where Facebook and all the big tech people are. Exactly. It, it, it ain't going to be dropped there. I wouldn't be surprised, as I said in the film, if, you know, Chicago, maybe one of the poorer southern states, some, some, it'd be more likely there. But that's, that is my fear, is that we're going to see something absolutely crazy like that. And if it comes, Americans are going to, you know, if, if your own government, drops a nuclear weapon on its own people. Well, then you're going to have no choice. You're going to have, I mean, I said it on the, <laughs> the Justin Stelman show. I'm going to say it again. You've all got guns. There's yeah. nothing to stop the American people having a revolt like that that could be successful. We, you know, the British and the Europeans, we, we don't have weapons. I've, I've never seen a gun, hardly. I, I mean, that may seem incredible to you. But I've I've never seen a gun on on the street. Yeah. In my entire life, the only time I ever was near a gun was when I um, I was chipping a golf ball one day at a field, a couple of miles away, and a, a a gamekeeper was clearing out a tree or something of birds that should be nesting there, and he had a double ball shotgun. And he he went boom boom boom, it scared me to death. <laughs> I've never, 
I've never, I've never been that 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 close to uh, to 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 a firearm in my life. And I thought, my God, you know, is, is this what it's it, it's it's like in America? We're not we're just not used to it. We don't have guns. You do have in your country still, and and I mean, Americans have always said, oh, you know. What is it? Is it the Fourth Amendment, the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms? Which which amendment is that? I think it's the Second it's, Amendment. I think it's the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. But this is the thing about America that you know that it will not be infringed. And yet, what have Americans done with their guns except to hurt each other? Yeah. Right throughout your history, all they've been used for is 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 hurting each other. You could use them right now to be free. So. Why don't you have the guts to do it? Because, uh, you know, the the Berlin Wall came down. It did. Russian communism, Russian totalitarianism, Soviet totalitarianism, it did disappear. And why did it? They couldn't play the game anymore. After Chernobyl, it just became too obvious with that nuclear disaster that uh, they, they, they couldn't play the game anymore. The whole world could see that the Soviet Union was a, a joke and, and, and it was just, you know, hurting its own people. And finally we had Glasnost and finally the, the, you know, the Berlin Wall came down just because of the pressure from below, from, from the people. It gives me hope, Sean. I think it's possible I think it's possible that we could have a, a, a peaceful revolution. But till men like yourself and Justin Stellman and you know all the, the broadcasters, all the people who've made wonderful movies like Loose Change, until you start getting together and nominating people to take over, I mean, I think Justin Stelman would make an excellent president. I've, I've told him so. You're going to have to have a, a, a situation where there, there are people who are ready and willing to take over and, and push out the political class that you have. And that will be the only way that you'll ever achieve the freedom that we should have. And like I say, I, I think it's possible it, it could be done peacefully. I think it's more likely that someone will have to do something large that, that, that shows intent. Because the only thing that the ruling class fear is physical force. George Orwell said this in, in The Lion and the Unicorn. They, you know, they can stand moral force <clears throat> until the cows come home. Physical force... They fear. And I do feel that things have reached a point now where the least sign of willingness to use physical force from the entire American population would see your ruling class just flying off and hiding in a bunker somewhere. I really think that's true. Hmm. That's, a, that's a interesting, an interesting way to think about it. So one thing I do want to touch on, and you, you touched on it, is how in laden the the uh in all of our systems like from the judicial system to the to the uh the military industrial complex you got the uh the prison industrial complex all of these and the financial the financial system they're all uh they all it seems like they run on the same model 
you know, and like anytime you need, yeah, anytime you need a third party to, to explain something to you because it's so complex and so, uh, you know, confusing, that's where the fraud is. You know, like with lawyers, you need a lawyer to get through the judicial system. You need a, uh, you need a, you need a doctor to tell you this, you, you know, cause you don't know, you need a, uh, an insurance broker to explain this, all these middlemen, when you need them to explain something to you, there's fraud in all of that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. There was a, a movie, uh, that I saw a few years ago. Um, it really has tied things up for me uh, with something that I learned that I talked about on uh, on, on Ricky's show. Um, it was Matthew Broderick, and he was a. It was the freshman. That's right. I think it was called the freshman, and he was having his first meeting at university on his first day with uh, his don, his professor. Um, who uh, is, is you know going to do film studies with him? And <laughs> the first thing this man tells him is, "You've got to buy, you know, the, the, these books that you know on, on, on film studies." Uh, and you know, <laughs> he's called Fleba. Says, "You know, you, you've got to buy them." And I think the. I think the you know, and, and this is a while ago. I think the amount is that he's got to spend is it's like twelve hundred dollars worth of books, and <laughs> of course Matthew Broderick has to say, "Oh yes, I understand. They're your books." <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Oh, so you know, the the mighty dollar, the almighty dollar, even manages to corrupt the academic system." in the United States along with everything else. Um, I mean, I might as well mention it, you know, that when I was talking to Ricky, Sean, I'm sure you listened to it. Recently, um, because of the internet, because of YouTube, um, British people are starting to learn a lot more about the reality of, of uh, America and vice versa. And there was a, a woman who was interviewed in the street in London and she was asked, do you know how much it costs to have a baby in the States? And, of course, because it costs us absolutely nothing, she was kind of miffed and said, well, what do you mean money to have a baby? It doesn't cost anything to have a baby. Of course, this woman was saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we have, we have to, <clears throat> to pay. And how much do you think it is? Of course, she's got no idea. <laughs> And then the woman says, well, it's about, about $10,000. <laughs> 10 grand just to have a baby. And then I, 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 that shocked me. I didn't realize it was that much. And I brought that up when, you know, I was talking to the Truthzillas. And for anybody who I've shocked in that moment who may, may not have heard about this before, I brought that up with uh, the lady who's, uh, you know, the, one of the Truthzilla team. And she, actually, she says, actually, no, it's more like $30,000. Yeah. And this is what Americans do not realize, Sean. And this is, a, this is a very serious point. Americans just don't realize that I think they've all got a, a figure in their heads, which at the moment I think must be around 
<sighs> more than a million dollars. I would have thought more like two or even three million dollars. That they feel they need to have that much money as padding against the world. Should you lose your job? Should you need an operation? If you want to have several babies, a family, big family. Americans seem to have this idea that because you've got to pay for every damn thing, mm -hmm. to go through life protected and go through life able to face anything that life throws at you, you've got to have a mega amount of money. And it can't be made, but you've got to make damn sure that the other man pays and pays and pays and pays and pays. And the, the net effect that it has is to make every American into a whore. I think that every American is a much more susceptible to selling out. I mean, selling out is in itself an American term. You know, people don't people don't use that term in Britain yeah. or, in, or, or in Europe. We, nobody here, you'll ever say, hear them say, oh, you've sold out. You know, it's not even a phrase here. And, and uh, it's it's something that I, I, I hope that comes out of our conversation and, and the, you know, the, the interviews I've done recently is to make Americans aware that the most important thing that Americans have got to fight for is free health care. I mean, it, it, it puts you in the bracket of the third world yeah. that you don't have free health care. Yeah, no, and that was one of the things I was talking about because it's, you know, during this pandemic, my health care is tied to my employment. And yeah, when I'm not making money, I'm not covered in my health. My daughter's not covered and, you know, any of these things. So um, what I – so to go along with what you're saying is in selling out, um, I chose to – not forego um, being a business agent in my local because that's like a democratic system. It's an, you have to be elected to that position and, and all this other stuff. And people were using my past against me. They were, you know, oh, you're, you know, behind the scenes when they were talking, you know, when they were campaigning against me, um, you know, they were throwing those things out like, oh, you really want to trust somebody who's been to prison? Uh, you know, all of these other things that they try to do, which they do on the national scene, too. So that that really put a bad taste in my mouth. Then the pandemic hit because I was in, in November of 2019. And then the pandemic hit in March. We got locked down. I started spending more time with my daughter. I have a three and a half year old daughter that I co-parent. She's almost four now. But I was willing at that point before that to sacrifice the time with her to go into this career that would take me away from her traveling a lot, doing a lot of different things, right? And once I started spending that time with her and realizing how important it is to have me there and and in her involved in her life and raising her um and you know a lot of the things here's a really good quote that I, it stuck with me uh was a meme but it really stuck with me it says instead of giving your kids the life you wish you had teach them the things you wish you knew and in order for me to be able to teach her the things that i've come come to know and the things that i need to arm her with to go out into life, I have to be there. 
And so in order for me to be there, that means, okay, well, then maybe I'm just going to have to sacrifice something. Maybe I'm going to have to sacrifice making a bunch of money. Maybe I do some or maybe I take a risk like I'm doing now and trying to pivot from that into content creation and, you know, all these things that are going along with this. You know, I started a nonprofit organization to try to help out. Uh, people in my my population of uh, formerly incarcerated and, you know, try to make a difference there. Um, you know, it's not 100% selfless because at some point when I get it rolling, I'm going to take a salary, but I'm not going to get rich off of it. I'm going to be doing just enough to keep me, you know, comfortable enough to do the, the the good work that I need to do to impact the people that are around me and, and in my population and to help try to make the world a better place through whichever what way... Whichever way Good. I possibly can. Good for you. And so, you know, when you when you talk about selling out like that, I totally understand. And like, there's no there's no amount of money because I don't I don't care about money anymore. I used to. It used to be something that like I would strive for because I, I didn't grow up with a lot of money. I didn't grow up poor, but I definitely didn't grow up with everything that I wanted. And in not having, uh, you know, and being in a, a broken home and, and all of that, you know, things get skewed and, and you're, you don't have people that are teaching you the, the, the values and morals of, of what a, what a, I guess what a, 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 a good person is, right? What a, what a, you know, that, that, that gauge, that spectrum, it, I didn't have it. And so, you know, by the time I got to, you know, maybe in my, 40s i really started maturing and realizing like how what does that look like for me and how do i want to manifest that in my life and and make a difference so yeah i i I kind of i i don't know where i was going with that sometimes i go off on you know i go i i'm I'm going i'm going i'm going and then like there you go he's he went right (laughs) hey come on get back over here i think you've made a nice statement there my friend you're trying to do the right thing and finding it difficult because it, it, it you're living in america and that's my point you know it's harder for americans to be decent people and and this that is the way that your system is rigged and you know it'll be difficult for you if you have the power ever to to do it because you know there are americans who you know, because they've been so brainwashed, will always say that, oh, you know, free health care, God damn it, we don't want that, you know, communist thing and, and all this kind of crap. I mean, for God's sake, the, the, the whole of what you would call <laughs> the civilized world um, is, you know, has free health care. And I've experienced, you know, the, the health care in several different countries. Um, like Ireland and Holland and France and, uh, and whatnot. And I've asked um, foreign people who I've taught, I've, I've been able to ask the Spanish, the Italians, you know, Romanians, Russians, uh, about, you know, what it's really like and where it's really at with, with healthcare in their, their own countries. And you always find that the best countries to live in, like Holland and, and, and Denmark, because they're, they're kind of, it, you know, if you really look into this, people tend to agree that they're the most comfortable and safe and civilized places on earth right now. Um, certainly, um, you know, I think most people who've lived in Britain and, have, uh, and, and I've known a lot of people who have who've like gotten to spend time in in Holland. And I found this is very true of Americans as well who've moved to the to the Netherlands. 
the free health care and the standard of free health care always seems to walk hand in glove, I've found, with a truly enlightened and progressive and civilized and democratic society. So, you know, this is the thing that the Americans mainly need to, to, to aim for. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's a great point to uh, to to end this on. Unless you have some more that you want to talk about. No, I, I, I think that that, that um, I, I think you know <clears throat> I'm a little bit embarrassed now that some of the. Um, I mean, I think that the the interview I did with Ricky Verandas is is worth hearing because we brought up a lot of stuff that was very important at, at a very important time. Um, I just sometimes look back at my my own interviews and wish that I, I could have you know compressed what I said a, a bit better. But this is why I'm a writer. Yeah, yeah. You see? Um, it, because when uh, uh, you know, um, I'm actually uh, it's actually a good idea to end it here because one of the things I've been worried about tonight is that I might wind up saying what I've just been writing uh, because of, uh, I actually have had to. Qu- add quite a lot to uh, my book that's uh, being uh, published soon um, that's basically, you know, my movie script uh, that's going to be illustrated. And I, I didn't plan it that way, but the, I've had to add quite a lot at the beginning and the end in particular because of what's gone on with this whole thing with you know with with Gisley Maxwell and uh, and everything else but i don't think my publisher would be too pleased <laughs> if if i was to <clears throat> to say it all you know on the air and with what's going on right now i do think it's worth uh, it's worth having it's worth uh, reading i i do you know want to influence the way that events are going especially with the Gisley Maxwell trial so yeah. um, you know, I hope my book uh, can do that. So no, I think uh, I think we've you know this is a it's about an hour and a half, isn't it? We've been talking. Yeah, it's about an hour and forty. <laughs> no, well, Sean, thank you very much for having on, uh, having me on your show. It's been uh, very pleasant, and I hope I hope you get a, a lot of views from this. If you get two thousand views by uh, the end of this weekend, don't forget. That will be two hundred times more, at least, in reality. Hmm. Because that is what they always do to me. They always have that kind of uh, reduction. They they always underreport the hits huh. by by a massive amount. Do you do your own Google Analytics? Uh, I haven't figured out how to do all of that yet. I didn't bother with that. With that either. I think Google Analytics seems to be a bit of a pain in the neck. But if you want, if you can get in touch with uh, Andy Young, the the, the rock Rock news people, he might be able to tell you how to do it easily or quickly or, or, or whatever. But it is worth knowing. It is worth knowing because um, that's how you'll be able to tell how well you're doing, really. Because I'll never forget the way that Andy said, you know, whenever you're on the show, Mister Connolly. Boy, oh boy, they really raised their game. I'll, I'll never forget that. He, he said he was absolutely astonished what was being done to him as soon as I was his guest. Huh. And, you know, there's, they're still doing everything they can. Alexander Ravella, this lovely man um, who 
you know, he posts things on Facebook just about every day. Um, you know, he put a pirate copy of my, my movie online. And that's the one I, I generally direct people to because the public comments below it are really good. And they basically all say the same thing, which is, you know, wow, everybody should see this movie, you know. And uh, I can't, I've lost count of how many times I've sent a link to someone or I've recommended it, you know, said, you know, you, sh you should see my, my movie. And then I go and, and, and look, and it's just a white background. It, it's gone again. They've taken that movie down over and over and over and over again. And it's missing at the moment. If if anybody uh, watches this and, and they, they start looking for the film, it's missing at the moment. They keep suppressing my work, keep trying to hide it. They keep trying to bury it. That, I think, is what has made it endure for and, and made this thing go on as, as, as long as, as it has. So please be aware that, um, you know, whatever you get in terms of, of, of hits, it, it, it may be millions of times more than it actually says probably yeah. will be. probably will be yeah yeah for sure no i definitely know that that's the, that's possible and the funny thing is is that the thing that i thought wouldn't get a lot of views at all i had a guy i had the guy the flat earth guy i had a conversation with him david weiss and within like three days, I had like 1600 views on my YouTube channel. And like, that's the most I've ever had on, on any of them. And I'm like, that's a strange one to, to that, <laughs> that to get that many views, but whatever. I mean, I, I'm not, yeah. a, I don't believe in flat earth. I don't, you know, well, I, I need I need to take a break anyway, Sean. So I'll say good night and hopefully we'll have a chat some other time. Awesome. You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue-collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.